0: Well, Robert,
1: we've been going at it for a while, but we thought we'd turn the uh, video recorder on for a a sutta. We had actually planned to do sutta number Majjhima Nikaya number nine, um, the uh, sutta on right view. But I pulled a switcheroo on you and decided that instead today we would do one out of the Anguttara Nikaya. And this one actually is AN8.6, uh, which means it's in the Anguttara, And the Anguttara is actually, the word ang- is for angle, it actually means numbers. And this is number eight. And it's in the eights because it's got eight things. And basically what this sutta is, is that it is a, um, an explanation of the second noble truth.
0: Hmm.
1: That's all that it is, is an explanation of the of the second noble truth, which means that some people are ignorant of this and some people are wise to it. And that's the distinction. But hmm. that this it is what we mean by the cycle of samsar. The spinning around that we go and this sutta actually talks about um, the spinning. Now in the second noble truth, it's used down to just two. So they have moha loba dosa, which means greed and ill will. But here in this sutta it's broken down from those two down to eight with four examples of uh, liking and four examples of not liking. Now, these mm. happen to be the most profound part of it. So from this, we can understand that this is an exposition of the second noble truth. So let's get mm. into it. Um, uh, unlike the Nikaya, this does not talk about the author or the situation. But rather, they only uh, refer to, for us, Lord, the teachings have the blessed one as uh, their root. But in the beginning of it, it does not start with the, uh, the term, thus I have heard. At one time, the Buddha was residing at this particular place, et cetera, like that. Okay, so it doesn't fit that format. That gives Mm. an example of why we would think that this is actually a later sutta. Mm. It is taking the basics of the teaching of the Buddha, these two things, greed and ill will, and breaking them down into eight examples of it. Mm. Okay, And it's probably because this sutta is an introduction to a poem that had become come into existence because uh, the old monks were very good at poetry. In fact, the um, Pali language lends itself to poetry much better than English. Mm. So it starts off with, instead of uh, thus I have heard, it starts right off with the voice of the author, monks, or in that case, bhikkhus. These eight worldly conditions spin After the world and the world spins after these eight worldly conditions. Now, when we say that the world spins after these things and these things spin around the world, people will get to believe that this is the world. That therefore the world is shit. No, the world is not shit. The world's just spinning around in a sewer. (laughs) 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 Okay. So, which eight? Gain and loss. There's where that second noble truth gets you right immediately. Gain and loss because we like something, we want to gain it. And we feel bad when we lose it. Mm. Right? So there we are. Gain and loss. And this is the way that we normally see things. That in fact... You could say the ordinary, ignorant, adult part of the mind makes connections like this, the gain and the loss. Then the next pair that we have is status and disgrace. Now, status and disgrace have to do with these apparent ego state. How are we doing according to the rules? In other words, are we a high status person or are we in disgrace based upon some set of standards? The next group, censure and praise, have to do then with the child ego state of being censured or praised in the sense of putting down, punished. You can see how censure and praise are closely related to status and disgrace, except the status and disgrace is something that an adult has to where censure and praise is something that's very childlike. Then the next one's pleasure and pain is in the body. So we have the body and we have the feelings and we have the, uh, the mind as well as the parent to the adult and the child. So all of these four or this eight group here kind of nails it. <laughs> this is our yes. whole show. And that we run around in these things. Okay, these th- these are the eight worldly conditions that spin after the world and the world spins around these eight conditions. For an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person. Now, this run-of-the-mill is actually uh, quite often mm-hmm. the, the choice that the translators use for the Pali word of putajana. Now, the word putajana, the word puta actually means sun. And you can say that the word uh, jhana here is actually used in the sense of an area or a place. Just like the word putra in the Malaysian language means the son of the soil. It's the original. It's, it's not the Chinese and it's not the Indians. It's the original Malay people are called the Bamiputra, the sons of the soil of this place. So, what we could talk about here is that this is what this means. It's your, the people who live the land. It's the sons of the dirt, is what I like to call it as a, in a kind of a humorous way. All right. Um, you could also yes. think of them as as the rednecks. But this run of the mill that they are using, with Tanisar, Tanisaro is using here, has a quality to it that means this is what the whole mill produces. This is the, by and large everyone. The ordinary uninstructed run of the mill person is by far the vast majority, 99% or more. And in America, probably you have to put another couple of decimal points in there.
0: <sighs>
1: okay. The uninstructed run of the mill person there ri- arises gain, loss, status, disgrace, censor, praise, pleasure, and pain. But for a well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, notice that quality of the noble ones, not a well-instructed disciple of the Buddha. Looks like that the Buddha here himself, Sakyamuni is dead by here. So the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, there also arises pain, gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. So what difference, what distinction, what uh, distinguishing factor is there between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the instructed run-of-the-mill ordinary person? All right, now I've got a lot of students who are actually stuck in that kind of question. One of them would be phrased like, well, when is it going to be over? (laughs) When, it, when am I going to have to, to not have to worry about uh, pain and gain and loss and status and disgrace and all of that when, you know, we're swimming in it, whether we know it or not. And most people don't even know that you're swimming in it. But of those of us who do, it's still there. For us, Lord, the teachings have the blessed one as their root, their guide, their arbiter. It would be good if the blessed one now here, the word blessed one it, it, I, more than likely is translated from the Pali word of Bhagwan.
0: I, I have Bhagwan,
1: a, You know, that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a little comment. You know, yes. one thing I've, I've noticed now that I've been in the, the su- Skype Sangha for a year and a half now, we started talking in February last year. Um is it seems to me, and this is part of my own process too, that your dhamma is like the unstoppable force and then the dukkha of the student can be like the immovable object. And eventually (laughs) the unstoppable force defeats the thick headedness of the immovable object, but it just has to keep going for a long enough time. And it's like a war of attrition, you know, it, would you say that's a good way to characterize what goes on? Where you just keep repeating? That's what repeating happened
1: between John Poe and I. It was a war of attrition. I'm
0: really, really <laughs>
1: glad you he kept grinding away at it. <laughs> and other, many, many other monks took a lot of grinding.
0: Yes. Well, Well,
2: yeah, because when you were describing the, you know, many students have it in their mind of, oh, when will this be over? Well, the response to that is, well, it's over immediately when you decide it's over right Uh and give them away yet (laughs) and and and, yeah but what's funny is like i used to ask that same kind of question to you and then you'd keep telling me the same thing over and over again and then i eventually stopped asking these questions because it had been drilled in me enough times where i could say oh this is what the Mm Dhamma would say to this
0: (laughs) Uh uh-huh you know which is
2: great yeah but anyway, so please,
1: that's please. that's the big question. Now that we know, what is it for us, Lord? The teachings have the Blessed One as their root. Now we are starting to use this word, Blessed One. That comes from the word Bhagwan, or Bhagavan in the Pali. Bhagwan is a, a Hindi word, and originally. It just meant good fortune when we put that in there. um, If we had said uh, uh, for us, dear teacher, the teachings of the lucky one, if you wanted to call him lucky. um, But when we call him blessed and then put that as a capital B. Blessed one, we're putting it way, way up there to where this teacher, whoever he is, is sitting right there with the monks. They are extolling this to him, but the exaltation is not nearly as much in the Pali as it seems to be here in the Sutta. He's just a a dear teacher. I do not have to put Achan Po up on a a pedestal. He shines well enough right in front of me. (laughs) Okay, it would be good if the teacher himself would explicate the meaning of this statement. Having heard it, the monks will remember it. In that case, because listen and pay close attention, and I will speak. Yes, Lord. Gain arises for an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person. He does not reflect. Gain has arisen in me. It is inconsistent, stressful, subject to change. He does not discern it as it actually is. Well, guess what? The instructor now is beginning to talk about the eightfold noble path of waking up and looking at what you're doing right now. When gain arises in the mind, the ordinary person just sees the object of the gain and doesn't really look at the, the mental states, and how we get into that. And so this is, the, this is the point. This is the actual teaching. And this is also what we would see as step nine of Anapanasati, which is to
2: investigate the mind. Yes, Robert. So. Um, So I was listening to a podcast the other day with a student of Bonti Vimala Ramsey, and he said that the key is to be able to enjoy um, the the good, the wholesome moment without craving it at all. So, you know, you enjoy the breath, but you don't crave anything about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that is highly connected to this right where once you are craving the gain that's what creates the inconstancy and the stress and the sub and the problem that we make of it being subject to change
1: right but- exactly all right if in fact uh, a lot of students will make the mistake of thinking that it is the object of the gain that we should see as inconsistent, stressful and subject to change. But really, no, it's the greed for the object. That has arisen in the mind and that greed, the mental state is inconsistent and it is stressful. That, in fact, we already see the stress. That's why we want to get what we want is because we think if we get what, it want and what we want, then the stress will go away. Not recognizing, no, the gain or the desire or the want is also inconsistent. Let that go away. Rather than mm-hmm. having to get the object that then will go away. <laughs> no, it's the greed that we could change. Okay. He does not discern it as it actually is. Now, here is where we get the ellipsis. This is one of my pet peeves in the translations into English language is the best part of the sutta, as you know already we've discussed, is repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And here these guys are taking all the good parts of the repetition out and putting three dots in there, which means when people are reading this, they don't have the over and over to where that stuff begins to sink in. So we should see this then is is that loss arises for an uninstructed run of the mill person, ordinary people. And he does not reflect that loss has arisen in me. It is inconsistent. It is stressful. It is subject to change. He does not discern it as it actually is. Well, what is loss? Loss is, in fact, stressful. We don't like it already. We know it's stressful. And so we think that I can get rid of whatever it is that I don't like. Or if I've lost something, if I can get it back again. then then the stress will go away. And so we're not actually seeing this clearly, that this is what means by when we see it clearly, that it's not the loss that we want to cure because it's stressful. It's that the loss itself is stressful in and of itself and inconsistent and subject to change. And then we go to the next one about status,
2: that status arises. Go ahead. So a couple of questions. So, um, so one is um, regarding loss. So would, wouldn't you think that the teacher here, whoever the teacher is, um, would use um, a different set of words other than "inconstant," "stressful," and "subject to change." Yeah, isn't it kind of a
1: positive? It's got Tanisha written all over it. This is the style of translations.
2: Right, because I I would imagine that inconstancy of loss and subject to change of loss is actually kind of a positive thing about loss, provided what you lost is something that you actually wanted, right? So um, if you lose a bunch of money and you have in your mind, this too shall pass, that can be encouraging because you will eventually gain some kind of money, right? So the subject to change can actually And then
1: you'll lose that too because the loss lose is it already too. in the
2: money.
0: <laughs>
2: right, right. But you would think under the gain, you know, when you say it's in constant, stressful, subject to change, that can create stress for someone that's craving the gain. But if uh-huh. they're aversive to the loss. Then they would find comfort in the subject to change, you know. Potentially, right? So, would shouldn't he have used different words to describe? I
1: I would say so. That's why these uh, suttas, as written, I mean, the translators do absolutely their best job that they can in understanding it, so that they could get it translated correctly. mm. Never mind whether it's understandable or not. We want an absolutely complete answer. That in fact, this is in one of the most famous old uh, textbooks on computer science, written by Donnelly Knuth. He wrote the name of the book is "Art of Programming." All right, and it's on page like 128, 126, something, right in that area of the book. He makes a statement that it is uh, more advantageous to give a simple understandable but incomplete answer than an absolute spot-on complete answer that's undecipherable yeah okay no I... and that's what we have here is is that yes this is absolutely correct it's just not quite understandable because of the translations that are used but the translations themselves word by word are correct
2: yeah, you know, there's a translation of the Tao De Ching I really like by this guy, Steve Mitchell, and it's not a literal translation, but it's way more readable. And he was a Zen monk for, I think, five or 10 years, and he's also a poet. So he translates the Tao De Ching in a way that is very readable, and he understands it because Zen is a very Taoist version of Buddhism, right? Um, but it's not an exact translation. And so you know, but it's way more readable than some of the other, the actual literal Chinese. Um, But kind of my question about this gain and loss is to me, it seems that the problem with gain is we we get wrapped if we're craving the gain is we get wrapped up in the fact that it's inconstant, stressful and subject to change. But with loss, if we're if we have some kind of aversion to the loss that's intense, the problem is that we think it's going to last forever. So the problem is that we think it's permanent and it will not change. And, and so it's the flip side of the equation.
1: Right. <clears throat> it's exactly, well, that's the whole point of this. And each one of these are in pairs, are, are four pairs here. You can yeah. see them the way that they're written. That four-pairness is is preserved in the translation. But gain and loss, we can use wider words for that because you're looking at it narrowly and almost in the sense of money or material gains. That's why the others are in there is because they are the not so much material gains. Right. But in the sense that everything is up and down, is on a cycle. Up, down, yes. up, down, up, down, up, down. If you want the things to be up and they are down then we don't like it. And if things are down and we want them to be up, back and forth, so wherever we are, it's not going to stay the same. The cycle is going to continue along. You're going to go from pain and gain. In fact, the guy can open his um, uh, uh, bank balance, look at the bottom line and get really, really delighted at how much money is in there. And then he looks up a few lines and sees the service charge. And now he's irate. And that only took, Five seconds.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> okay. So around and around we go. Up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And we don't know that we're caught on that cycle. That's what we begin to need to see is that there's cycling here and it's all inconsistent, and it is all unsatisfying, and it keeps changing.
2: (laughs) You know, this actually, this reminds me of a conversation I had with my dad the other day about the, the beginning of the universe. And he said, well, there has to have been, like, a first thing that started everything. And I said, no, what if the beginning was the ending of the previous universe, right? You know, what if the and I know the Buddha says "The four imponderables, right You shouldn't even think about this. it'll drive you crazy, and I shared that with him the the conversation, but you know if you're gonna if he insisted in discussing it, so you know so if you're going to you know I think maybe one way you could think about it that could be fun is what if this universe was born from the end of the previous one, and the end of that one came from the birth of the one before that, and it's just an endless loop we're caught in right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, eight, which is just like each, that. You know.
1: Each circle of the loop is so long that 13.7 billion years is not even yet to one o'clock on the loop that we're on this time.
0: Yeah. And yeah. we're worried
1: about 12 o'clock next time. How many trillions of years is that going to be from now? A
2: lot. <laughs> <laughs> Many. But one of the
1: theories is, is that after everything goes through dissolution and it goes back down to there's nothing left but a wide distribution of energy called dark energy because there's no particles left, because everything is disintegrated, but it's disintegrated over a vast field. But in the process of that, energy does like energy and have opposites and repels so eventually another trillion or so years is going to collect back together how hot does it have to get before it explodes again this is why they don't know what happened in the first second
2: right right you just don't know it could just be contracting and expanding and contracting and expanding again and again and endlessly. Well, infinite, they say, they say that, they,
1: that energy is neither created nor destroyed, and they also show that there's a connection between energy and matter. So if energy can't be destroyed, then maybe all of the matter can, but there's energy there and makes some more matter.
2: Well, yeah, that's actually what I said to my dad. Is he said, oh, it's all going to die and go away. And I said, well, where can it go? There's no place it can go. Because of the law of the conservation of matter, right? So matter and energy—you know, like it cannot be there destroyed. Is the law no
1: conservation of matter. I mean, you just light your nose on fire and see what happens to the nose. It's <laughs> not a <the> nose anymore.
2: <laughs> well, that's why no, they're the over
1: matter. <laughs> 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 All right. So anyway, yes, we don't know, but we do know that everything is on this cycle. Right. Now we know everything is on the cycle. But the uninstructed person doesn't know that things are on a cycle. The question is, can we see this cycle ever? And then can we see it now? Right. Okay, now, the next pair, stress arises, and disgrace, excuse me, status arises and disgrace arises, okay? This is actually a form of gain and loss. But right. instead of material things, it's um, is had us, that we have inside of our family or our in our uh, uh, um, among other people. So this is actually part of, the way that we relate to people is in the way of status and disgrace rather than friendship. With friendship, status and disgrace don't mean anything. But the human mind is caught in this idea of status and disgrace because I don't know how long status and and disgrace have been going on. I guess that when someone way, way back when... Uh, got angry and hurt someone that that gave them some sort of status and the one who got hurt felt in disgrace. And that's been going on ever since. That's where we have the idea of might makes right until you see the light. (laughs) Tom,
2: Lear quote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Humans have a way of wanting to find a put, put a final ending to things. Mm-hmm. You know, like this just reminded me how George Bush liked to say that he, he would never he would never try to do the popular thing because popularity comes and goes, you know, and he would try and do the right thing, not the popular thing. You know, and that didn't work out very well for him. Snowball
1: <laughs> who you- right <laughs> who defines right or how do you define right <laughs> right means i gain and you lose or right means i gain status and you lose and you get disgrace right but uh-huh. the, the
0: but no, all of them are that's inconsistent
1: that's, like, yeah. that's why we keep stay, uh, coming back to this point is because they were busts out and we have to keep looking at the fact that all status is inconsistent whatever status that you have In other words, as you move around, you're moving through, and your status changes depending upon wherever you are. So it's really inconsistent. I mean, the the teacher, the college professor, is well-respected in the classroom until he walks down the very alley that some of his students live on. (laughs) (laughs) and look at how his status changes from (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Big Teacher in the class into Mr. Old Man laying on the ground in pain
2: yeah status is dangerous because generally the more of it you have the more people the more you have a target on your back
1: exactly exactly so Exactly. better to stay anonymous and have fun
2: Yeah, if you could have wealth or fame, it's better to have wealth because fame puts a big target. You know, wealth is also a target, but it's not as noticeable. (laughs) Well, it it
1: depends upon if you can keep your mouth shut. And the problem with money is is that it's noisy. Right. If you buy something, this is called ostentatious wealth. It's noisy. That in fact, uh, occasionally we hear uh, a story about someone who everybody thought was really, really poor winds up having and hoarding millions of dollars and living happily.
2: Right. And of course, they didn't need to hoard it. (laughs) They probably would have been happy. What
1: else are you going to do with it? (laughs) If you give it away, you'll get noticed. Had to be very careful about giving it away. Okay. So we have these four groups, gain and loss for equipment, status and disgrace with other humans, censure and praise comes out from the point of our childhood, that every child loves to be praised and every child hates to be censored. And that, in fact, if we are censored or praised in public, that's because there's some adult around doing it to the child inside, mm-hmm. and then we have the the body pleasure and pain arises, not recognizing that these two are also inconsistent. They are unsatisfying. Okay, so not just pay, uh, pleasure itself is is uh, uh, inconsistent in the sense of. Uh, how long do you want her to rub your foot if you're having a foot massage? Five minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes, four hours, until tomorrow afternoon, <laughs> this week, and you're going to just let your foot get pleasured and pleasured and pleasured. What are you going to say enough of that?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we don't look at it from this position.
2: So, there's so a question. Yeah. Oh, sorry, God. Go ahead. Go um, on. So- so the Stoics advise to think about, you know, pleasures as fleeting, and and also pain as fleeting, and to kind of just always keep that in the back of your mind, right? To always yeah, you know, we have know where we as a got this.
1: They read this Sutra, didn't they? <laughs> These Stoics were pretty smart.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. You know, um, and uh, and uh, one question I would have is. Does the recognition of the impermanence of an object, say a pleasurable object, um, uh, you think that gets in the way of the wholesome enjoyment of the object, right? So say you take a deep breath and you enjoy it, you know, um, so you're enjoying it, uh, you know, to what degree should you enjoy it versus take note of its impermanence and how should you kind of think about that, you know?
0: Or well, it's you? fairly
1: easy to take a note of its impermanence because you can only breathe out so long and hold it so long until you breathe back in and see that cycle and recognize it that it's a cycle and you can make it into pleasure or pain as your choice, but it's always inconsistent. And if you want a breath that you can't take, it's going to be really stressful.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is true
1: that when students live in polluted areas, I recommend to keep their nostrils cleaned out a lot. Make sure that that the nostrils are doing their job by cleaning the dirt out of it, because normally in a polluted environment, people will let their nostrils get clogged up and then it'll start breathing through their mouth instead. And you know what happens then is that all the girt that was trapped by the nostrils now gets into the lungs. And so, it's not recommended to breathe through your mouth. It's recommended to clean your nostrils.
0: Mm.
2: So. so, so I'm curious. So, you mentioned the stat. This the, the uh, censure and praise is more childlike, and the status, you know, disgrace is more of an adult state, right? Because mm-hmm. the status and disgrace deals more with one's um, image to the outside world. You know, whereas the censure praise is kind of more of an intimate relations kind of
1: a thing. Right. It's more of a feeling. Okay, so, uh, yes, you could see that status and disgrace would bring on the the poly word is hairy, which actually means shyness,
0: status
1: Mm -hmm. and disgrace. But praise and censure would bring on the feelings of guilt. When you're censored, that means you you are wrong. Versus well, disgrace ma- means that to see the people see you is wrong.
2: Well, yeah, and the reason I I ask, or one thing I find interesting about this is I found censure and praise to have been a way bigger deal for me than status and disgrace. Uh, personally, like maybe because I've always been a relatively High status person, you know. So I've never really worried about it. I've never been disgraced before. I don't really know, you know, what that. Well, like.
1: you've got the Outback in Colombia to go visit.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I will say this: some censure has always really stung me. Not always, but has <laughs> oftentimes stung me. But isn't that you know, the someone favorite, in my close relations?
1: Maneuver? Isn't that the favorite maneuver, say, on these social media groups like Reddit and Discord and whatnot? That's the way that they operate, is because they want to hurt people's feelings. Hmm. You got to hurt as bad as I hurt right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but when you say.
1: Around censoring each other.
2: Hmm. So, and it'd be censure, not disgrace, because it's not really affecting the person's image because Reddit is anonymous, perhaps, right? But say if it if it was uh fully clear what the who the identity of the person you was. You can it was see Facebook. the relationship
1: between the two of them, in fact. There is a deep relationship between censor and disgrace in the sense that um the censure can become actually uh, add the disgrace with it. Like, oh no, poor me, I'm so bad. And I don't want anybody to know. So they could come quite as a package deal.
2: Yeah, I think part of the problem with censure for people is the fear that it will turn into disgrace. You know, and the Mm -hmm. censure itself usually is not that big of a deal. But if it gets out to the wider, you know, let's say someone in your family doesn't like well, you. And let you're us afraid be that the pleased
1: with these family- people. <laughs> let us be pleased with these people who can handle the censure but can't handle the disgrace. Because believe me, a whole lot of people are not as mature. And when they get censured, they feel really, really bad. They don't like you when somebody makes a disparaging remark to them. That's why they're so quick to give it back in kind is because I want them to hurt as bad as they made me feel.
2: Right. And I had another question about uh, Many
1: of us, though, can hands or censor. We can just step right out of the way. We don't have to get hit either by the arrow of disgrace or censor. And when we do, we know what to do with it. We can say (laughs) this is not going to last I don't like it right now let's get rid of it it's subject to change let's change it
2: right so that's
1: what this is really all about is is that it is subject to change if we can see that that was actually the point that I was going to make as we Mm. got into it uh, a little deeper his Mm. mind remains consumed with greed his mind remains consumed with loss His mind Mm. remains tuned with status, his mind remains resumed with disgrace and censor and pleasure and pain and praise. All of those things just get into the mind and they get stuck there. And we're not seeing them clearly. Mm. He welcomes the arising gain and rebels against the arising loss. He welcomes the arising status and rebels against the arising disgrace. He welcomes the arisen arisen praise and rebels against the arisen censure. He welcomes the arisen pleasure and rebels against the arisen pain. He is thus engaged in welcoming and rebellion. There's the the circle. There's the samsara, welcoming and rebelling and welcoming and rebelling. And he is not not released from this uh, being born by this cycle of welcoming and rebelling. He is born, and it gets old for him. People don't like it, and it'll kill him. We have sorrow, lamentation, pain, despair, mm. grief. That's one that uh, uh, that we know that he's uh, grief is put in the word it, as pain. Uh, he is not released, I tell you, mm. from suffering and stress, okay, from dukkha. He is not released from it because he is caught in the cycle. Every time the cycle goes around, we are reborn. Because it's not just reborn. We are born as if we were carried along in that wheel of welcoming and rebelling, liking and not liking. That's why this Mm. sutta is just so deeply involved
2: Mm.
0: with
1: a good explanation of the second noble truth.
0: Mm.
2: (laughs) Certainly.
1: Now, gain arises for a well-instructed disciple of the nobles. And he reflects gain. I see that feeling of gain. I can see that feeling of pleasure. It is Mm. also inconsistent, stressful, and I can manipulate it. Mm. That's the point. The subject to change is um, the way that um, Tannisero has phrased it, puts it in passive voice and Mm. it's just it is subject to change well who then is going to change it Mm. that's the point that we need to make here is is that gain has arisen it is inconsistent, it can be changed it is stressful, I don't like it so much let's change it Mm. he discerns it as it actually is Inconsistent, Mm. stressful, and I can change it. The loss, the same way. When status arises, let us say that sometimes that people will call and say, oh, goomy, 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 I am so thrilled to be in your presence and bowing and scraping as best <laughs> I can on the internet. And when I hear that stuff, I see it as inconsistent. Oh, too
0: too. <laughs>
1: Get up off the floor already.
0: <laughs> uh, sure.
1: But I give them some innocuous, yeah, I know. I've I, been there, done that. I've been praised before. <laughs> I've heard it you all know, I,
2: I, I just thought of a really funny little analogy here. So, um, so you know, one of the things I like to write about for my uh, my job—well, I wouldn't really call it a job per se—but my my work is cryptocurrency. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's been a big crash in the crypto markets recently, and it's way. No, I
1: heard the third from from Thailand.
0: <laughs> yeah, way. <laughs> I, I heard the third. <laughs>
2: Yeah, way bigger than previous crashes. And, you know, a reason for that is because leverage has built up in the cryptocurrency economy because there are a lot of people that are lending and borrowing in Bitcoin now and in cryptocurrency. And, you know, whenever you have leverage that enters a financial system, that makes the highs way higher and the lows way lower. You know, and so the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person reminds me <laughs> of like a leveraged financial system, right? Mm-hmm. Where for them the gain is way higher and the loss is going to be way lower because they think the because gains. Because they're ignorant run of that cycle, right? When somebody and is wise
1: is- of the cycle; they can take advantage of the cycle. But when you're caught on the cycle, oh, no, my money is going up and crashing. Oh, I feel so bad.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we do that not just with gain and loss of money. We do that with everything that somebody says to us. Do yes. you take it, everything that anybody says to us? We can either take it as status or disgrace or censure or pain. Right. You're paying up on what you go state we're in. And sometimes we flip around so that we're back and forth between disgrace and censure. Right. Then in fact, praise and status are also intermixed. Right. Okay. So yeah. uh, if we could discern that stuff as it actually is. Then when someone calls and tells me that I'm as full of crap as I know that I am, I'm not going to feel bad. It doesn't have to be stressful. In fact, I can congratulate the guy for, ah, at least I found some students that can see straight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, yeah. Oh, sorry. God.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Uh, this reminds me of uh, an old story, like one of those old Chinese proverbs, where um, there was a king or an emperor, and he asked one of his courtiers, to find um, anyone in the world that could tell him something, a piece of wisdom that would make him sad and the poorest man in the kingdom happy. And, you know, person after person came to the king and they all failed. No one could say anything clever enough to please the king. And the king would give them a big treasure if they were able to do it. Then one day a monk shows up at the, at the court and the king says, monk, what do you have to say? You know, and the monk says, this too shall pass. (laughs) You know, not good news for the king, great news for the poor man. You know. Mm -hmm.
1: This too shall pass. Actually, Goenka has a story about that. That 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 phrase, this too shall pass, uh, was engraved on the inside of a ring. I don't mm. think that Polanco uh, described the ring at all, but it more than likely was not the kind of ring that a Westerner would think about. It would be something that would be found in India instead. Mm. But in any case, he's got this story about this ring that's set in the jewelry box, and every time that someone came to open the box and find this uh, 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 writing in the ring, it changed their life because they were always in a crisis. Whoever came to get the box open, they were in life crisis. And they read that, and it was like inspirational to them. Yeah, it's a crisis already, but it'll be over soon. This, this too shall pass. Hmm. Everything passes away. That's the wisdom of it.
0: So. so, uh, yeah. so uh, the question
2: go ahead. Uh, yeah, so um, so I, I imagine, you know, if you are the king, this could make you kind of sad, this too shall pass. So if you're in a really peak moment, you know, um, and you have in the back of your mind, this too shall pass, wouldn't that kind of uh, deflate a little bit, you know, like, um, you know, like... Monarchs how, how have been work?
1: known regularly to, uh, uh, to what, abdicate. Hmm. That getting permission to abdicate, to step down and let the guy uh, who's got the dagger in the room, let him be the target for the next guy who's got a dagger in the room.
0: Hmm. So, so let's say,
1: I mean, that's what happened to even a pope got tired of the daggers that were out about to uh, (laughs) uh, all of the bad uh, uh, priests and the little kids. And so he finally retired. This too shall pass if you make the change.
2: Hmm, Sure. So let's say like you're in. And that's what I'm inviting
1: everybody to do is make a change. Retire already. Quit. Abdicate. Stop (laughs) doing the life that you're in and start enjoying a different life. Make a change here. Come out of all of this stress and disgrace and censor and
2: praise. Sure. So let's say like take an example of you're, you're having a really nice night with your girlfriend, right? You know, you're just having a great day, great and everything's great, you know, and and everything feels like a total peak, you know, great moment, you know, Um, and and then you think in the in the back of your mind, this too shall pass, you know, doesn't that seem to be kind of a a little bit of a buzzkill, you know, to to enjoying the moment. You know, Actually, no, your if,
1: if you hear it correctly, that means that you will pay attention to what's going on right now very carefully. Mm. This mm. too shall pass means, I, oh, now I'm supposed to kill it, which often would mm. be, I mean, that's what you've got. When you have that thought, this too shall pass means all that thought's telling me I should change and kill this pleasant instead of recommending, <laughs> aha, I see you, Myra. Because in ah. fact, that this too shall pass is now uh, an unwholesome thought.
0: Mm,
2: wow. So you can have the same words of a thought and have it be wholesome versus unwholesome. That's that's mm-hmm. a very interesting little detail there. So, mm-hmm. okay. Well, that, that's great. So, it you know, one thing it would remind me of is say, you know, I've heard it recommended before that let's say if you have children, right? And um they're only going to be really little for a, a short amount of time, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And so to really enjoy that time, because that time is guaranteed to pass. You know, like mm-hmm. when they're like two and doing all these cute things that two year olds do, or they're four, or they're eight, or whatever. You know, five. And so really enjoy those times because they're gonna be gone. There will be a time where you read to your daughter for the last time. She's not gonna want it you to read to her anymore, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. In fact, that's exactly what happens all the time uh, on a regular basis is is that children are treated and expected to behave the way that they did last year and the year before. Mm. And the kids are in transition. So instead of the uh, the parents watching this inconsistency and watching all of this change going on, they get stressed out because they don't like the fact that the kid's not the way that he used to be. And the kid right. is getting really stressed out because these parents don't recognize that this kid's a 10-year-old now. He's not in diapers anymore. Right. <laughs> he's ready for some big boy toys now. At least <laughs> that's what he thinks. Sure. Right, so and,
2: and the thing is, too, oh sorry, just maybe one last little wholesome thought to sneak in sure. there, is, is every stage has its own kind of beauty to it. Right? You know, so... Like there's a certain beauty to being every age, you know, like at 28, there's a beauty to that compared to 22. There's a certain particular beauty to that compared to 55. There's a certain oh, sure, beauty to that. Sure, because
1: each one of them, when you're at that age, you're in the here now, and the here now is absolutely marvelous. It's inconsistent, but everything is inconsistent and subject to change. And when we don't think that it changes, it gets really stressful.
0: Right. But this, in fact,
1: the I think, is what this is: inconsistent, stressful, and subject to change. Is actually the triloka, anicca uh, uh, dukkha anatta. Hmm.
0: Sure, and, and what it's kind
2: of about here. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, it's one reason we can find nature so beautiful is because every permutation of beauty in nature is unique. You know, no flower is exactly the same as every other flower. And so we 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 kind of value flowers more than we would, say, a fake flower. You know, a real flower we value more than a factory-produced one,
0: you know, mm-hmm. generally
2: speaking, because there's kind of a more of a uniqueness to it, you know. Um, and even scent will be a little bit different than all the other flowers and whatnot.
1: And you know, it has not... something in common with it's It's alive. The plastic flower is real, but it's not alive. And the actual flower is alive. It has to be right. appreciated. Does the flower know that we're the ones who's picking it? Does it know it's being picked? Does it know it's being smelled? Some Someplace deep in the, uh, the DNA, yes, that's true. That's what makes it alive, is that right. it has a way of communicating and connecting, or it has a certain kind of consciousness, which, by the way, we will talk about next time when we do get into... Uh, uh, the uh Majum Nikaya number 9 the uh, 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 sure. Samadhi. so let's continue on with this because we've gotten at this point of that his mind does not remain consumed in the greed he woke up he could see the inconsistency the stressful and the ability to change and so the change is, is that the greed does not remain in the mind I, I, I see you my greed His mind does not remain consumed with the loss, with the status, with the disgrace, with the censure or the pain or the pleasure. His mind does not remain consumed in pain. Ordinary people. That's true. 99% of the people, once you've got a pain, oh, poor me, I've got a pain. He does not welcome also the arising gain or rebel against the arising loss. In other words, we now can see that cycle of becoming and rebelling. And so we can not welcome it so much. Then he does not welcome the arising status or rebel against the arising disgrace. Notice now we're not getting rid of disgrace and status, we're that we are not welcoming it, nor do we um, Rebel against it when it arises. He does not welcome the arisen praying or rebel against the arisen censure. In other words, we cannot change the world that much, and we're going to be subject to these eight things. The question is, can we stop welcoming and rebelling ignorantly against them? Wow, that means that this suit has got that really special kind of uh, McDonald's sauce that really puts this hamburger together for us. He does yeah. not welcome the arisen. He does not rebel against the arisen laws. He does not welcome the arisen status. He does not rebel against the arisen disgrace. He does not welcome the arisen praise or rebel against this arisen censure. He does not welcome the arisen pleasure or rebel against the arisen pain. As he thus abandons welcoming and rebelling, he is released from birth. What is the birth? The being born in this cycle over and over and over again. I'm I'm born as welcoming and I'm born against rebelling. And I'm born into welcoming and born into rebellion over and over and over again. And when we see that cycle, we can step out of it so that we're no longer being born. We have been released from
2: that kind of birth, (laughs) aging,
1: death lamentation.
2: You you know, it's funny. To to be a born-again Buddhist isn't a very good thing, is it? (laughs)
1: Well, the uh, the phrase that is used is change of lineage. And this is the change of lineage.
0: Hmm.
1: The change of lineage is the coming out of the ignorant of being caught on that cycle and see the cycle from the outside. You can change that. That's the change of lineage to stop being reborn. The Buddha actually recommends that very strongly in Sutra number 20, the last line about it, all of these people who are believing in magic, they love that sutta until the very last line, when the Buddha very much clearly orders them, therefore stop being reborn. Like you've got Mm. a choice here, just stop doing that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and here it mm. is in this sutta. What is it that we're stopping? The, the cycle of mm. welcoming and rebelling and welcoming and rebelling. That's the way that we've ended this stuff. He is released, I tell you, from suffering and stress.
2: So, yes. so here's a question. So, you know, given that friendship is the core teaching of the Buddha, and a lot of the nice things about friendship involve some of these things, Right. Like, um, like, for example, praise, you know, that's considered like a nice aspect of friendship, you know, or pleasure, you know, doing nice things together, cooking together or something along those lines or um, gaining things, you know, whether it's gaining knowledge, you know, such as in our conversations or, you know, gaining, uh, you know, just nice memories or whatnot, you know, and so a lot of these things seem to be part of friendship. You're supposed to be one of the core, which is the core teaching of the Buddha. So you should not attach to these things. You should not crave Uh, them, but you should still do them, right? You know, so how do you kind of.
1: Well, you're making a very, very excellent point, because remember that most of the people, unlike the Dhamma dudes, unlike the Sangha, most of the people are going to be run of the mill, ordinary people that you deal with. Knowing that they're attracted to gain, knowing that they're attracted to status, knowing that they welcome praise and that they seek pleasure and that they rebel against pain and they rebel against disgrace and they rebel against loss and they rebel against uh, censure, knowing that we don't do that with those friends because they're not wise enough.
0: To see through your scam, <laughs> and
1: in fact, yes, nobles are excellent scam artists. <laughs> but the scam they play is a wholesome scam by manipulating people, knowing that they're attached to the uh, to the upside. And so we treat them that way. That's how we make friends with them. How many friends do you have that disgrace you, censor you, give you pain, and take things away from you over and
2: over and over again? Uh,
0: None. None. (laughs) call them? family. (laughs) Yeah,
2: except for family. (laughs) Except for family. (laughs) Well, they say the closest to you hurt you the most, so that's for that. (laughs)
1: Precisely so. That's the whole point, because people that do that to us, we're not going to be around them. Family is a little bit different. It's a bit sticky. They say that blood is thicker than water. Actually, when water drives, it doesn't stick. But if you've got blood on your hands and you put them together and let that blood dry, (laughs) your hands are stuck. (laughs) Okay. So that's the point about family connections is that it's sticky, but nobody wants friends that way and the ignorant people so treat ignorant people well and they'll like you
2: right Nobles,
1: you gotta have a little more skill than that (laughs) but (laughs) ordinary people it doesn't matter how bad you are if you treat them well in this regard Hmm. sure But going back to the point that this is all about is this is the difference. This is the distinction. This is the distinguishing factor between well-instructed noble uh, disciples of the noble ones and an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person is this knowledge, this wisdom, this lack of delusion. The delusion is, is that I cannot get off of this cycle of welcoming and rebelling.
0: Hmm.
1: And the the wisdom is, aha, I can step off of that. I can change. Hmm. So this whole sutta now has been actually a lead up into a point. That Tannisro did what he could to translate it into English.
2: Oh, oh, just really quick, Tom, Rado, before we Pardon? do the poem, before uh-huh. we do the poem, just one more question or clarification. So, um, so, you know, so one thing I've learned from our, uh, our friendship, you know, is that the, the noble ones are still, still do have goals in a sense, right? You know, yeah, like they take- still do have like and if he knows things, that he's
1: noble, and if he doesn't know that he's got a goal, then he is ignorant, run of the mill in that moment.
2: Right. And they do have certain things they're aiming to do. You know, however, you know, the difference between someone that may have, say, an ordinary right view and a noble right view would be that the noble right view knows how to take themselves out of dukkha that arises during the pursuit of their goal, whereas those with ordinary right view, they might still have a goal that's worth pursuing, but they can't get themselves out of dukkha along the way to perceive, to pursuing their goal. So let's say you take someone that had ordinary right view, like say Martin Luther King, right? You know, who okay. had very great ideals, you know? Um, however, he got involved in a lot of dukkha along the way, you know, in his marriage and other things, because he couldn't really pull himself out of the dukkha in the pursuit of his right view. You know, Elon you're, Musk You're reading
1: the life story of your average Baptist preacher.
2: Right. Right. You know, you know Elon Musk is a good example, right? Where he has very good ideals, you know, mm-hmm. but he gets trapped in all this dukkha on his way and he's not as effective because um, he he doesn't have that ability to kind of pick himself out of the dukkha situations while pursuing the right view. So, mm-hmm. so the nobles well, will here's still the have point, goals. Though. Yeah.
1: Here's the point, though, and that is that those of the, the, the preachers and the Elon Musk and uh, uh, your entrepreneurs and the whole crowd, are pursuing gain because they think that this uh, inconsistency and this dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness, will change when they get what they want. That's the mm. ignorance. Mm. They're not saying that, oh, I can have this aspiration or I can have this goal, but I could still be happy right now anyway, whether we get it or not. Mm. And I can continue to pursue the goal happily and then make it a toy. This is why I recommend making it a toy is because so long as it's real in that regard, we got gain and loss built into it rather than merely just having it as the pleasure of the moment of playing with it as a toy.
2: Right. And I think that's something where I've struggled with a lot with Buddhism whilst being a Western layman and at Mm -hmm. the same time is the Western society is sending me all these messages and my family and all these other people are sending me all these messages that I have to do all these things to be a valued member of the society. And then the 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 common, you know, Dama for dummies version. Oh, yes, I know. Is, That's all is, the
1: status seeking. Me. Can you see that status seeking yeah. that you're doing there?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And because the, if
1: you can see it, it's not going to be so painful. If you can't see it, then you're stuck in it.
2: Right, right. And then the Dhamma for Dummies version, which is the Western Dhamma. <laughs>
1: Don't write is, that book. We'll let some yeah, Dummy write it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that, the Dhamma for Dummies is saying, no, you're not allowed to pursue anything at all. You just have to, you know, no pursuits. You can't have any goals. You know, just go sit under a tree somewhere. You're not allowed to do anything. You completely just a
1: question of your friend Ian. Do you remember it, that conversation? Yes. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's
0: it. Yes. This is the this is the
1: all yeah, the mm-hmm.
2: yeah, that's the Dhamma for dummies. It's not saying like, no, you can actually have goals and aspirations, but you have to learn to not chase them, to not attach to them too much and to also not fall into dukkha along the way. You know. And and I think that's That's way more wholesome than saying, no, just go. I mean, you could go do that if you want to. That's fine. If you want to just go sit under a tree and do nothing, that's great, too. That's fine. But you can also have a goal if you want to be a part of society, you know, but just don't attach to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't don't crave it. You know. Right.
1: So starting the poem
2: now, gain,
1: loss, status, disgrace. Uh, censure, pleasure, pra- excuse me, st- uh, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain, these conditions among human beings are inconsistent, impermanent, and subject to change. Notice there now they're using the word human beings. In fact, in the Pali, I'm pretty sure that that would be Manu,
0: mm. humans,
1: as opposed to Putrajana, the sons of the dirt. And the nobles. So you've got two groups here that you're combining in, and this is human beings. and these, and this is what we are. We're human beings, and we are subject to inconsistent permanence, and everything is subject to change. Knowing this, the wise person, with sati, he remembers to look. I'm not sure that mindful and ponders are the right words to use here. But rather, going back to the Eightfold Noble Path, he is mindful and he looks at these changing conditions and sees that desirable things, they don't charm his mind anymore, and undesirable things bring no resistance. That's a really beautiful one. I really like that one. Undesirable things don't bring resistance we don't have to resist undesirable things just stand aside and let them roar through at one time you mentioned about the immovable uh, 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 let us say the uh, the immovable object and the um uh, <laughs> uh, and the and the unstoppable force, what they force? Call unstoppable Un- force right you know the solution between the unstoppable force and the immovable object what that the unstoppable force misses the object. <laughs> and that can happen in either one of two ways. Either the uh, the unstoppable force was ignorant of his target or the unmovable object was movable just enough to get out of the way.
2: <laughs> I think that probably happens a lot. If the unstoppable uh-huh. force is the Dhamma and the immovable object is the deluded person. <laughs> You know, oftentimes they
1: just right go like this, way. you know, step right out of the way. Well, if we can step out of the way of the truth in this case, why cannot we train the mind to not resist. That force of the undesirable object, we just don't resist them anymore. We kind of stand out of the way and just let it pass by. Because we can see it coming. And we know that if we stand and get hit with it, that we will put some resistance up. We're an object there to be hit, you know. That's me that you're talking about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? And so we recognize, no, he's not talking about me. He's talking about something else. The only way to have no resistance is to not let it hit you. Right. To move out of the way. Mm. Okay? So his welcoming and rebellion are now scattered Get that. We stand out of the way. We're scattered. We could head off to the hills. We could take a hike.
0: Mm.
1: And so the welcoming is scattered, and it bring and it just is brought to the end. It just doesn't exist. There's no more resistance. Mm-hmm. Knowing the dustless, sorrowless state, he discerns rightly and has thus gone beyond becoming to that further shore. But the point is, is that this resistance that we're talking about has to be done every moment. That we cannot say, oh, there are no not going to be any more desirable things. That things will be undesirable in your life. That's just how being human is. That's what they're talking about. These things that are there, we're not going to be able to get rid of completely. Greed, loss, status, disgrace, censor, praise, pleasure, and pain. These things will remain. The question is, are we wise to them? Or in this moment, are we wise to them? There's not a permanent kind of wisdom. That my wisdom is like a bubble and it protects me from ever getting by the, the slings and arrows of outrageous greed. Oh no, greed's gonna hit. Wakey wakey.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 that's that's yeah. the knowing the dustless is it can't hit me. I'm not sorrowy <laughs> anymore because I didn't get hit. And he so discerns I, that, rightly; yeah. it's gone. I don't have to deal with it anymore.
2: Um, a, a question. So, you know, in in uh, the suttas, the Buddha often talks in terms of absolutes, right? You know, like say. Well, it's translated as it's absolutes.
1: It's translated as absolutes because it's translated by the Western mind that that sees things in that way. Hmm. And it may take another couple of centuries before we, before we have a good English language translation of the sutra. That's why it's good to go through them. I'm not about to sit down and retranslate this thing so that people will understand it. But maybe they can get a big hit out of this video.
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And this is really fantastic. I really enjoy doing this. And I have a question. What does, what does he mean... Um, the, by the further shore, you know. Could you expand more on, on what might be meant by the further shore?
1: Well, the feeling of safety. The further shore is safe. That this shore is floodable. Okay. Mm. That this 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 shore is inconsistent. It is subject to dukkha, and it is subject to change. But the further shore is not a permanent location. It's a mental change that we can go to from being unstable to be stable, from coming out of our doubt into, hey, I can handle this. Mm. So that further shore is actually then uh, a whole mound of shroud or confidence. Mm. Mm. Remember, we've talked about uh, uh, that everyone is an emperor of his own pile of dirt. Yes. Well, when you're you're underwater, when you're under the dirt, when you're buried under it, that's the victim. And (laughs) then the wannabe is the one who's climbing out of it. But the reality is, is that it's just a mental state and we can come and sit right on top of our mound of dirt. That's the further shore is our own mound of dirt of confidence that we can handle
2: hmm. it. Hmm. Now, here's a question. So, you know, I found that investigation, you know, slash skepticism, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, um, sometimes it can veer into doubt, and then that takes the confidence down a peg. You know, so, for example... You know, well, I do. Yes, but also
1: for... recognize that that's a moment of selfishness. Also, that's the pulling it mm. down. That's making it heavy again. Mm. And if you can see that, you can change it mm. right then and there. Yes, it does. So we recognize that doubt. Recognize that, in fact, that doubt is a form, possibly, of criticism. It's disgrace. Okay. And so you're criticizing yourself. You go around criticizing yourself a lot. That's how you've gotten to such a high status. Now that you're at such a high status and you're on top of your world, stop the criticism because you keep pulling yourself back down with that. (laughs) That you've been resisting your your criticism for so long. Now that you can just remember, oh, I can stand out of the way. Whenever I criticize myself, I could just see that. Immediately,
2: so, ah, there I go again. Right. And and the thing about the criticism is it's based on faulty ideas, right? You know, that come from the culture, which is that I am a solid, unchanging entity. And, you know, what I do does matter a lot, you know, and whatever happens is immutable and never changing, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Right. You know, and
1: okay, so here's a way of looking at it then, and that is our bar or our standard or the rule is set by status and disgrace. That's what sta- sets that bar. What is status and what is disgrace is actually the definition of where our boundaries or our bars are. And then criticism and praise has to do with whether we go over that bar or not. Okay, so who sets the bar is the parent ego state. That's all the rules that size society. Are you up to scratch? Are you up to the standards? If you're up to the standards, then you get praised as a child. And if you don't meet up to standards, then you're criticized. But who set the standards? Well, we set the standards at what society would say would be a status.
2: Right. It, it, it's like the Asuras, you know, in the the Titans or whatnot, you know, in the Buddha's different realms, you know, of being of existence. Mm, right. And they still have Dukkha, even though they're in these high realms, because they're still.
1: They're not in a high realm. I mean,
0: yeah. They're
1: not in a high realm, <laughs> not to them. They're high realm to the stupid uh, Westerners who think that they're higher. But if you right. look back to the Asuras are being actually there close to the Titans. What's right. the problem with the Titans? They always lose the wars because all the other gods are more powerful than they are. The Titans well, yeah, up remaining fighting. warriors. Okay. Guess what happened yeah. to the Titanic? It hit an ice cube. That's what happened to the Titanic. <laughs> There's your Titans for you.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It to so, water and, it and it's all he's got is some hard water to go through and he can't do it.
0: All right.
1: <laughs> so this is the Asuras also. Yes, they are heavenly warriors, but they are all dressed up for battle and they're terrified to go into battle. Just like the little child walks out on the stage with only one line to speak in this little play, and
2: he is petrified. And he puts well, it in line.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, this is also why I think the Bhagavad Gita is such a great, uh, great text, you know, because Arjuna is about to do this very, you know, terrible thing, you know, from an ordinary perspective. You know, he has to go kill his family, right? in this war and krishna is telling him do it all as complete completely detached you know completely detach yourself from everything and just do it for the greater good basically and only think about the wholesome you know he's basically saying only think about this to put it in buddhist language you know mm-hmm. as doing a wholesome act because this is what you have to do in this situation this is your dhamma you know this is your duty in this situation and um and i think like a lot of Buddhist lay people, you know, struggle with that because uh, the Buddhism is taught as a monastic religion. You know, I think perhaps in the West that it has to be a monastic. You know, if you're not being a monastic, you know, you're not, you can't properly be a Buddhist. You know, and perhaps there's some truth to that that the monastic setting is the most conducive to living a life of the Dhamma. I think that is probably completely the case, hence the OSF and all of this, right? However, mm-hmm. if you can have that perspective, like Arjuna and the Bhagavad Gita, where you go through life unattached to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or totally mundane <laughs> fortune, uh-huh. Well, you know, Rama, like in the Sutta.
1: Yeah. The Ramayana actually is part of Thai culture also. There is, mm. in fact, one of the uh, big watch in Bangkok have murals of the entire Ramayana. The whole story is done in murals. You have to walk down hall after hall to uh, to see the pictures, and they even have guides who will go through and tell you all of the stuff about what's on each one of these pictures for the Ramayana. Now, mm. the, one of the points about killing the family is to recognize that all of that family that Krishna has to do away with are all of his old stuff. That is metaphoric. Mm. It's not killing his actual human being families. It's killing that this is in fact a, a part of Buddhism. And uh, also, I think that there is some passage in the Bible that refers to this, and that is, is that mm. you have to kill your mother and your father. Mm. And yet, at the same time, it's got in both of the books, honor thy father and thy mother. The Buddha talks about carrying your mother around right. on the shoulder. And here you also talk about killing your mother and your father. And people will get confused because they don't know that one is actually um, uh, gratitude and generosity and, and working with our family as human beings versus the metaphorical mother and father that has given us all of these rules of status and disgrace Mm. that we can't match up to giving our um our criticism and our praise
2: right and so that's a psychological
1: it's a psychological warfare that we're all in we all live through our own private little mom well yeah
2: you know that's actually it's very interesting because you know you have taught you know many of you've coached many of your students to have good relationships with their family, you know, mm-hmm. including myself, which I gained great benefit from that, for sure, that teaching. Yet uh-huh. at the same time, you're also saying to leave the parent, destroy the psychological
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: parent, you know. Uh huh. <laughs> you're also exactly. teaching that at the same time. And that's a very funny and interesting distinction there.
0: But
1: it's in the it's in the Ramayana yeah. also. It's in it's in right. the Bible also. It's in the sutras also. That's kind of funny, isn't it? That that uh, uh, is is kind of well known. It's it's not something that I dreamt up.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's very interesting, you know. And if you read the Tao Te Ching to bring that back in for a second, that's also giving a lot of the same advice, you know, as the Bhagavad Gita, which is because the Tao Te Ching, I suppose, was supposed to be written for a king. You know, like uh, Lao Tzu was an advisor to a lot of it is. is
1: no, 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 of, no. That was Chang Tzu, who was a little bit after Lao Tzu. Uh, uh, much no. is known about Chang Tzu and his life and his uh, association with the king and him being a local uh, a governor or something like that, a magistrate. But Lao Tzu is a very misty kind of figure. We don't know much about him. That's why we always see mountains with clouds when we think of him. He's up there right. in the clouds, We don't really know who he was. Yeah. And, and that Tao Te Ching comes out of deep history, about 500 BC, to where Changdu was a century later or so.
2: Right, but but I believe like there are passages in the in the Tao Te Ching, as I remember, um, that are a lot that are kind of political. You know, like if the best king is one that will govern very little, you know, that Mm -hmm. completely fades into the background. Like there's a lot of stuff like that in there where it's like advocating this very minimalist, you know, maybe anarchist even form of governing. Right. You know, and um, and a lot of it is also
1: best governs least. That's an old point, I think, from the Tao Te Ching.
2: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is about this non attachment, you know, and stepping back and, you know, just similar to but that. It's
1: not just Krishna. Krishna. Every one of us has to be uh, the governor of our own lives. Right. And there we are following all the rules of status and disgrace and criticism and praise, and we're letting that be our governing.
2: Right. Which is we need forced. to throw
1: all of that stuff out and stop having pain and gain and uh, uh, loss and and status and disgrace and criticism and praise <laughs> and all of that is our government. yeah recognize that all that stuff is just uh, what uh, transitory, <laughs> impermanent, subject to change and dukkha do. So, he who governs his own life least governs his own life best. Now, what will you right. do if you were completely ungovernable?
0: What or would I do? better still,
1: ungoverned.
2: <laughs> um, well, if I were ungovernable, I'd do the same as I'm doing right now because we kind of are ungovernable at the end of the day. You know, we can govern a particular Except the reason
1: for that is because we are governed by already stuff that we picked up as children.
2: Yeah, but even beyond that, like, you know, we're we're kind of thrown to the wind, you know, Heidegger calls it thrownness. you know, like there's a pandemic one day and then the next day oh, there's an
0: election a and there's a this. Wait a that. minute.
1: Wait a minute. You know? That is just reality. Right. The, the governing is the welcoming and the rejection, the welcoming right. and rejection. That's the trap. That's the governing.
0: Right. So How we respond to that. If we got an ungoverned
1: society and it has a, a flood or a disaster, then we would help people out of kindness, but we wouldn't try to govern. Or make rules about thou shalt do this and thou shalt do not. All of those rules come from governing. And so that's what I'm getting at is is that we are all in that state of governing ourselves, making ourselves miserable by that pain and loss and status and all that kind of stuff. And we can come out of that. Then we're ungoverned. We could just sit down like a child and enjoy our day. Play with our toys, right. Right.
2: <laughs> have a sure, conversation
1: right. about a sutta with a friend.
2: Right. And I actually think I think that's a big danger um, with Dhamma practitioners is then the Dhamma becomes their new government, you know, instead of a tool that they use to navigate their lives, you know, and they they get into the Dhamma becomes like the superego. You know, in in a way that's unhealthy, you know, like you you can see it.
1: It can be, but generally the Dhamma, because it's so healthy, if they're taking real Dhamma, I can understand that there are people who uh, call themselves Buddhist and believe all kinds of weird stuff and get really stuck in it. But the real teachings are wholesome and therefore liberating of themselves. And so this Hmm. is actually what the Buddha would recommend is substitute. Hmm that old superego with one that is healthy. This Mm. is, in fact, the Soda Pond is the one who's able to change his superego, and the erhot's the one who's been able to kick it in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Over and over again. Kick it back into shape over and over again, okay? But the, the Soda Pond is the one who has the ability to do that. Sure. He's got the ability to change that superego, and he starts doing it. And pretty soon he gets pretty good at being able to change that superego so he can see greed and loss and status and uh, disgrace and criticism and um, praise and pain and pleasure. Sure, We can see those things, right? Because see, the ignorant, ordinary person, those things come into the mind, and they don't know it. They don't see how dangerous it is. Right. And so they're caught in that cycle of welcoming and rejecting and welcoming and rejecting.
0: And that's the government that they
1: have. There's their government right there. And when we stand out and we can see that government, we can say, (laughs) hey, (laughs) man, we don't need to do that right
2: now. You can put
1: us right to it right now.
2: Right. And and so how would you describe, you know, like a Dhamma superego? <laughs> it sounds like an oxymoron, right? You know, is the Dhamma superego just simply remembering?
1: Actually, you know, and that's no, all it is, is I just would remembering? Say, I, would say, yep. I would say offhand that that's exactly what we want to do, to change um, and unify the rules, to throw mm-hmm. all the rules out, and have one great big super rule, a huge super rule that is so powerful and so important that we consider it every time we remember to consider it. And what is that rule? The sutta. What is that rule? Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. What is that rule? The whole teachings of the Buddha. In other words, see that Dukkha, see that inconsistently and change. That's the rule, Duca, Duca, Naroda, to step out of right. it. That's the only rule we have is let's make this moment pleasant and let the future take care of itself. You see, in fact, one of the primary things that we see about what laws and uh, rules and all that kind of stuff within uh, Western culture has to do with um, the means and the end, the means to the end. And if the uh, if the end is sufficiently justifiable, then whatever means that it takes are justified to get to that end, right? Okay, and what the ignorant ordinary person doesn't see is that there is no end. There's just a cycle of the means of liking and not liking and liking and not liking, and all you go is that, okay? So in that regard, Uh, In Buddhism, we don't see an end. We see are these noble means, Mm. skillful means, no end to it. Mm. Skillful means, no end to it. Wow, that is just so different than Western society. Right. (laughs) To recognize there's no end to it. But can we take skillful means of stepping out of the cycle every time that we see ourselves caught in that cycle? Sure. So that's the difference between the noble and the ordinary run of the mill person is the one, the noble, uh, the the disciple of the noble will in fact see what he's doing. To wake up, to take a look, and to recognize that this is Dukkha, let's change it to Dukkha Naroda. That's all there is to it, but in order to do that, we're throwing out a huge list of rules, a long <laughs> list of social stuff, Excellent. Back, just one little rule, and we have to well, wear that but... rule and beat it into where that is the adult that we have, or well, not the adult, that's the parent ego state, has only got one rule. This moment, I'm was... out. end of the present moment.
0: This, this I was going to say not a
1: lot needs to in the end of a moment later. This is it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> sure thing. Well, don't tell that to the guys in the orange pajamas following the Vinaya every day.
0: <laughs> well. <laughs>
1: Uh, there's two kinds of prisons that wear, that wear orange pajamas. And in fact, I think the recent president had an orange head pajama. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all kinds of orange pajamas, and all of them can be stuck in this cycle and not recognize it and come out of it. Right. So this has been a really good suit. I've
2: really enjoyed sharing it with you. Me too. This has been great. And which one would you like to do next?
1: Well, let's do number nine next time.
2: Okay. I was ready great. for Thanks it. So when much. I
1: ran across this one, I said, we got to do this one. This is too good to pass.
2: <laughs> this is really good. This is the one that, this one hit the sweet spot. I definitely needed this one. So thank you. And yeah. um, looking forward to nine next. So. All right. We'll see you again, Robert. All right.
0: All right. <laughs> this Talk has been great. All right, bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.